welcome to another episode of Scholar Tea. We are two scholars giving you the tea. And today we're going to ask each other our mood as if it were a plant. So Cameron, if your mood was a plant, what would it be and why? I'm that good old snake plant, you know, that old reliable, that starter kit, but it'll last you through your lifetime. Mm. I love a good snake plant because they're low maintenance. Um, They have survived many, many things. They actually thrive under stress. Uh, So I would definitely say I am a snake, a snake plant. They, they can adapt to their surroundings. Uh, I feel like I adapt to people. I adapt to circumstances. I adapt to environments. I got two beautiful snake plants. My, my pandemic plants didn't mm. have didn't have nair plant during the pandemic. Now I got fourteen, but you know that's how that goes. So I would definitely be a snake plant. Well, my mood for the day is an orchid, and um, they're very beautiful. Um, they have some very interesting, intricate roots that need a lot of oxygen and open space. You can't just plant an orchid in soil. Um, but very sensitive, incredibly fragile, um, and very high maintenance. And that's, that's all of how I'm feeling today. Rather fragile. I feel like I'm generally cute, but, um, you know, like you have to have a firm understanding of how to care for an orchid to be, um, in a good purveyor or care caretaker of one. And, um, I think anybody that's my friend right now understands that about me i just also got a fresh haircut y'all you know y'all know how you sometimes you got to clip the orchid you know to keep it alive yeah yeah got the fresh cut y'all can't see it but it's fresh maybe that's why my orchid is dying (laughs) (laughs) maybe i need to clip something off of it i don't know (laughs) but behind you is my orchid and mm, We'll see how this goes. Well, it is good to be back on the scene in these Scholar T Streets with y'all. This episode, we are so excited to get back to the tradition of Scholar T and sharing our Scholar of the Week. Shannon and I are going to spill some tea by catching up and letting y'all know why has it been, you know, four years and what to look forward to, what's to come. We have a wonderful, wonderful episode an interview with Dr. Heather Shotton. Excited for y'all to share and to hear her brilliance. If you've never been introduced or don't know who she is and her work, we are excited to engage with her. I have some things that have been problematic and I'm going to share those with you. And of course, Shauna's coming through with them jokes of the day. So should we jump into it? Who's our scholar of the week this week, Shauna? Dr. Felicia Herrera Villarreal is the Director of the Research and Equity Scholarship Institute on Student Trajectories in Education, aka RESIST, at San Diego State University. She is also an Associate Professor of Post-Secondary Education and Community College Leadership and Affiliated Faculty in the Joint PhD Program at SDSU. Her scholarship is enhanced by nearly two decades of experience as a higher education professional at two and four year institutions, several MSIs, Hispanic serving institutions, including faculty and professional positions in student affairs, institutional research and administration. She serves as PI for several large scale research projects, including two current NSF funded projects investigating the role of community colleges and Hispanic serving institutions in science technology, engineering, and mathematics, or STEM, 
and as co-PI for ADAPT, a pedagogical decision-making study. Her work encompasses several strands of scholarship, including student mobility, community college pathways, underrepresented students in STEM, and a critical examination of policy issues related to diversity and equity in education. Her work is also informed by her own educational history as a community college graduate, low-income, first-generation college student, and mother scholar. Give it up for Dr. Felicia Herrera Villarreal. Shout out to Felicia and the great work that is happening and that is being contributed by her brilliance. Shana, what's tea? Do people want to know? People want to know what's tea. What's oh tea in the gosh. Scholar Tea Streets? It's been four years since we have been in the podcast ears, helping the people drive home from work, people cleaning a house, listening to us. They want to know where we have been. What's what's new? What's going on with you? Yeah, I mean, for those that were able to catch the catch up episode part one, you know, y'all understand these are our lost tapes at this point. Um, in the first episode, that was two years ago at this point, and we were trying to catch up then. Um, you know, I I I have transitioned two jobs since we started recording created a whole person, um, trying to just get myself together, a mother of a teenage girl coming into her own, like there's just been so much. And then, you know, a panini has occurred as well. So in all of four years, we've seen the whole world turn upside down. And, you know, I think for me, at least, it's just a matter of, okay, how do I recenter myself and get back to myself so I don't lose myself? Um, it's been it's been an uphill battle and it's taken years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Shana, life is happening, right? We thought we were coming back middle of a pandemic and we were ready to rock and roll. We were both at home. <laughs> we were ready like, hey, we can map this out. Um, and we didn't get a chance to with uh, everything that was that was really happening in the world. I also transitioned to a new location when we were wrapping up uh, our first season of Scholar T. I've been in Florida now for four years, submitting materials for tenure, moving along career-wise in that respect. So it's just good to be back in community with you. It's good to really talk to brilliant scholars and share their brilliance with, with the world. It's good to anticipate them jokes of the day. Uh, it's good to see you. I remember the first time I saw you after <laughs> we had not seen each other for an extended amount of time and just the hug and the love uh, that that we that we had missed with one another. So we hope that you all listening will be hugging and embracing and loving us as, as we return after our four year hiatus. I, I think what's been interesting the last few years is that we've had the space to at least be thoughtful about the ways that we want to be creative. And, and creating some new ideas around how we can expand Scholar T, right? Like in addition to traipsing around Italy soon, uh, we can have socials, we can have sessions at convention. We're thinking about grantsmanship. Even in the midst of a pandemic, we were able to talk to the ways that digital scholarship can be enhanced and make um, knowledge more accessible and disseminated um, at ASH. So like we're still finding ways to, engage in this. I don't think we've completely just disregarded our conversations around Scholar T, 
I think we are really conscientious that we want to create a product that is uh, bountiful, fruitful, and is produced in a high quality way. And so I think we've been um, thoughtful or careful around the ways that we tend to the cultivation of continued or advanced episodes, additional episodes, because we want it to be a good high quality product. And that's the main, that's the main reason, right? Like we, I remember we tried to make sure to push out an episode and we was like, it just wasn't the quality that, you know, season one is known for. And we want to make sure that we uphold that, that high quality as you're, as you're talking about Shauna. The other, other, I think really important key piece of this is that we have been featured on other podcasts, right? People have invited us into their into their space, have talked about our influence in the spaces that have been that have been created and cultivated since Scholarty has premiered. You can catch us on the Blacktivist podcast. You can catch Shana on the Student Affairs Now podcast, and some others out there uh, that we have been able to continue. Like, no, Scholarty is not over. You know, we're not a one and done, even though it feels like a one and done season. Uh, we, we come in, we come in, be patient. And, and here we are, we're back. Well, and I think something else that we've talked to in some of those guest spots has been, um, I think this is also a modeling of what it means to uh, make sure you're taking care of yourself and not grinding yourself into the ground uh, and making sure that, yeah, you could be who you need to be in this moment, in this space that you created, uh, because you first took care of the things that mattered the most. And so I think this is a good role modeling around, especially right now in this publisher parish paradigm that we're living in, that you don't have to continue to act like everything's okay, everything's fine. And let me just get through this project. Uh, sometimes you need to step away to make it, to make it grow. I definitely felt that I was I was putting my tenure materials together and I was like, oh, I could have done, I just was always like, oh, I could have done more or I wish I would have done this or had the capacity to do that. And I had to say, pause, hold up. When I was looking at everything, I was like, bitch, you did a lot. And drained, exhausted, navigating grief, navigating cycles of depression, right? Like the publisher perish is not only about career, but it's also about self and health, right? Sometimes we feel like if we don't like if we don't publish and do these things we need to do, we're not going to be successful in our careers. But also, if we are grinding and only thinking about our careers, everything else is going to perish. Whether that be our relationships, whether that be our relationship with ourselves and our body, our relationship to to the people around us, uh, those that we love. Um, so I love that you also a reminder for me to keep those things in perspective. I think Michelle Espino, you know, two years ago that people are just now hearing that interview from the, from the episode previous, uh, I think she really highlighted those points. I think Heather Shotten and the brilliance of Heather, anybody that knows Heather and Heather's energy also highlights what does it mean to have self-care? What does it mean to bring humor and laughter? She talked about that love for Scholar T because we offer that as well. Um, so I thank you, sis, for always putting that into perspective for me and as a reminder. Well, for me, I think what you have reminded me of, Cameron, is uh, how to still be engaged with your scholarship in a way that isn't taxing. 
but also how to be a careful purveyor of other people's feelings and checking in with people, even when you may not necessarily be checking with yourself. Um, and I'm not saying ignore yourself, but in the midst of it all, I, I think you're really good at still remembering other people. And I think sometimes when people are going through it, they have a hard time just even focusing on themselves, let alone other people. And somewhere in there, somehow you're able to remember other people. And I think that's really interesting. Um, and I try to do that myself, even when I'm in the middle of it, because what that means to me is like a uh, community is an anchor. And you might be able to pull yourself out of whatever it is a little bit sooner or quicker if you have uh, direct access to your anchor. So I, that's something I've learned from you. Oof, got, got me over here about to cry. Community <laughs> is your anchor. I think, is that the name of the episode? Community is your anchor. There we go. Um, love you. I hope you, I oh, I always remind you of that, but I love you dearly. Should we get into our love for Heather Shotton and yeah. let the people engage with the interview? So today we're really excited to invite Dr. Heather J. Shotton to Scholarty. Heather Shotton, PhD, is a citizen of the Wichita and affiliated tribes and is also of Kiowa and Cheyenne descent. She is an associate professor in educational leadership and policy studies and director of indigenous education initiatives in the Janine Rainbolt College of Education at the University of Oklahoma. She also serves as affiliate faculty in Women's and Gender Studies and Native American Studies. Dr. Shotton's research focuses on Indigenous students and Indigenous women in higher education. Please, let's welcome Dr. Shotton. All right, as promised, we are excited to have Dr. Heather Shotton with us to engage and spill a little tea with us. So first off, um, Dr. Heather, thank you for just, you know, spending some time with us, spending some energy. During these pandemic times, there's been a lot of conversation around self-care. So self-care has been recognized as a, ne as a necessity. So in moments like these, what do you do to practice self-care in a culturally significant way for yourself? You know, I think that that uh, changes. Um, and it's actually changed a lot, I think, um, in these long months that seem to run together of this um, pandemic. Um, but I think one thing has been really a focus on relationships and um, really focusing on being in relationship with the people uh, that I love, focusing on friendships and sisterhood. And um, of course my immediate family, my, um, time with my daughters. So my, uh, my oldest is a freshman in college and uh, got to come home a little early, maybe against her um, preferences, but uh, it's been a lot of time with my girls and, um, and sometimes just being able to laugh with them and engage in nonsense. And they indulge me in TikTok sometimes. And have you discovered things about their personality that you didn't know about before because of spending so much time together? I think we're discovering things about each other's personalities that, and it's really um, both forced us and allowed us to think about and discovered these different aspects of, of one another. Like they, you know, a lot of times they think that um, I'm mad and I'm like, listen, that's just my face. 
I'm not mad. I'm just thinking that's my face. And all these years, I'm like, they've thought I've been mad at them. And I'm like, no, I'm just thinking. Um, I can't help it. Uh, and, you know, for them, um, I think, you know, my youngest, uh, Sophie, is uh, super witty. And um, she has a, a sharp wit and a sharp tongue. And uh, it's been fun watching her in this time um, really engage both uh, in uh, her consciousness around social justice and around um, everything that's happening in the world and, and just how they both uh, deal with things in different ways and how they both make sense. Uh, but I think really, you know, they're both really funny in their own kind of quirky ways. And so, yeah, I think it's allowed me to, to learn um, some different things about their, their personalities and um, how they handle both um, uh, stress and, um, and things that are just happening in the world. But then it's also allowed them to see a different side of me because work has invaded home, school has invaded home, and it's all right here. So they're, they're seeing all these different sides that they probably don't always see. So yeah, so it's really been, you know, focusing on those relationships. Um, and, and sometimes those relationships, it might be Zooms. And a lot of times it's like a, a few daily group texts. And um, I was laughing with uh, some of my close colleagues the other day about uh, one day we're going to write about this and how um, group text, TikToks, and Tiger King uh, got us through this pandemic. And like, <laughs> just the conversations about all of this and the nonsense and um, just being able to laugh together. I think that that's been really important. Uh, so that, you know, that's one thing. And I think the other thing in terms of culturally significant um, practices has been being in connection to place and land. Uh, so I'm really fortunate that where I live and work is within my homelands. And so um, I've been able to um, make sure that in these times when a lot of our, our tribal ceremonies have been, um, I won't say canceled, but they've been put on pause. Uh, a lot of things right now are just put on pause that I'm still uh, at home and I can still be in connection to uh, place and spaces that have both spiritual and cultural significance. And so being able to, to do that in these times where we aren't able to um, benefit from our tribal dances and our ceremonies, I think that's been really important. And then, you know, for me, it's like not just the cultural practices, but the, I mean, I, I engage in a lot of, um, just nonsense too, right? So turning, just turning my brain off and watching things like Real Housewives or, um, you know, things that don't require me to think too much and allow me to escape into other people's nonsense. Mm. What's your favorite franchise of the Housewives, if I can ask? Oh, it, it depends. Um, okay. So I love Real Housewives of Atlanta. Um, but I love the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Me too. <laughs> okay, right. Like watching these wealthy white women and all of the things that they're in uproar about just puts things in perspective for me. <laughs> and I love the drama. I actually love all of the, the, the franchises except Dallas. Because, okay. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I get enough of that being this close to <laughs> So, yeah, those those are probably those two um, those two area those two franchises are probably my favorite. <laughs> I'm glad to know you. Yeah, we're on the same wavelength. Yeah. 
Yeah, I've only watched Atlanta and the one in uh, Maryland. What's that one? Potomac? Potomac. They'll be back next month. Um, Speaking of critical theory and methodology, (laughs) (laughs) uh, can you talk to us a bit more about your work on critical methodologies, particularly as it relates to making considerations for smaller populations? Yeah, so, um, you know, the work, um, the more recent work has been the, um, the edited volume with Dr. Robin Minthorn, the Reclaiming Indigenous Research in Higher Education. Uh, but a lot of these conversations started for me and for many of us, uh, I think probably 2007. And I, I, I think I was telling you this, Shauna, when I was on your campus in February, that the conversations around um, the book with Dr. Stephanie Waterman and Shelley Lowe, uh, Beyond the Asterisk, um, the idea and the thought for that was born out of a meeting at, um, at the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign. And it was a conversation with a number of both, um, both indigenous practitioners and scholars and some of the issues that we are all facing on our campuses uh, about really the invisibility of indigenous people in higher education and indigenous students and the data. Um, And a lot of people have written um, about it in much more um, intelligent ways than I'm able to articulate, I think, uh, from a quantitative perspective. Uh, But the thought was that the research has continued to erase indigenous people. Uh, from the data, from the scholarship, in multiple ways. And one of the reasonings around that was um, around power and statistical significance. And so um, that was the thinking around the asterisk, which is often that that demarcation that says this is why uh, Native people have been excluded from the study or it's not presented here uh, because our population is too small, Uh, right? So it was a pushback against this idea that Um, this logic of exclusion and erasure for indigenous people. And that um, while beyond the asterisk doesn't deal with with methodologies, it deals with that kind of concept and how we think about serving native students. Um, And I think that more importantly, a lot of people are actually starting to think about um, critical methodologies when it comes to indigenous populations and issues of being a part of a smaller population. And so my own work has really been focused on opening up and holding space and bringing that to the forefront. Um, And so I think that there are other more critical scholars that are really engaging in what that looks like from a quantitative perspective. So people like Jameson Lopez and um, Desi Rodriguez Lone Bear, who, um, who's been dealing with things like data sovereignty with tribes, and uh, Jameson Lopez, who's been um, working on issues of power and, um, and construct validity and all of these like awesome quant terms that I don't deal with. Uh, but he's, you know, they're looking at ways that actually assert indigenous knowledge and deal with those issues of, of um, small in, right? And, um, but I think for my own work um, more recently, um, some work with uh, some of my sisters, Amanda Tacchini, Chris Nelson, Stephanie Waterman, and Robin Minthorn, we had our um, sisterhood practices um, piece that 
pushback, I think was more of a pushback on this kind of notion of transactional validity practices and, um, and then how, what does that look like um, to engage in um, a collective form of validity that's grounded in indigenous knowledge. So that's grounded in what our responsibilities are and how then we think differently about research and scholarship um, through an indigenous lens and what that might look like. So we talk about things like love, prayer, vulnerability, resistance as forms of um, collective practices that we engage with. It sounds really powerful. Yeah, I, I think so. And I think that, um, again, it's, it's both a pushback and also a refusal of um, the settler logics that continue to erase indigenous peoples and say that it's okay. Um, because we're finding all of the, the way that um, this presents itself and how just um, pervasive it is in our research when we talk about quantitative research, qualitative research um, that, that really do um, continue this logic of erasure and elimination for indigenous people. And so I think that it's, it's both a, yes, a pushback, but also a refusal of that this is the only way to do it. And that this is the also the only legitimate and rigorous way to conduct research, right? And indigenizing scholarship and decolonizing higher ed and the ways that we go about, um, I guess, disseminating knowledge and our understandings of even what creation of knowledge is. Like, do y'all feel like you're seeing um, some systemic change happening or um, are there things that people that are interested in supporting that kind of work could be doing better to, to demonstrate that they're in support of these sorts of, of practices and, and research methodologies? Yeah, I think that, um, I think that we see some shifts and I think that, you know, things that we're thinking about or uh, a lot of people have been pushing for um, is even a shift in how we think about this kind of quote unquote creation of knowledge. None of our knowledge is new. Right. Um, it, and so it's how we even shift our understanding of knowledge and um, push that, uh, but also not only how that knowledge is out there, but reconsidering what knowledge belongs in what spaces. So not all knowledge belongs in these settler spaces of, of higher education and and being OK with that um, and not only just being OK with it, but asserting that that there are certain tribal knowledges, indigenous knowledges that don't have a place here because we choose that, not because they're excluded, but because we choose that there are certain spaces that those um, need to, uh, to reside and that we hold those with, with care. Um, and, and, that be, and because there aren't those relationships, both reciprocal relationships and relationships that require responsibility and accountability between institutions and um, indigenous populations, then we can't trust oftentimes that institutions are going to hold that knowledge with the same care, reverence, and, and sacredness that it, that it represents. So I think that there's that, uh, but then also how we actually are thinking about sharing that knowledge and where um, knowledge is shared in different ways. We see um, more creative ways that that's happening, um, how we are even conceiving of what knowledge is beyond a journal article or a book, right? Podcasts, um, you know, blogs, 
all of these different extremely creative ways that we're still really addressing critical issues. And this is knowledge um, assertion. And these are, are, are spaces that, that honor that. And so, um, you know, the other piece is how we are caring for that knowledge in our communities and making sure that that, that, um, that scholarship is both accessible and useful to our tribal communities. And I think that there's a big shift in that. And I think we continue to see that. Heather, I, I think we have a lot of mutual friends and, and they always talk about, talk about your brilliance. Um, but Shauna, when, when we were in conversation, she talks about how creative you are. So what are some projects that you're currently working on um, that's kind of lighting your creative um, intuition and in mind? Right. So I brought, I brought for show and tell. <laughs> I was like, yes, when Shauna told me y'all wanted to talk about that. And we had a really great conversation about that, about the um, one, how the Academy tries to tell us that our creativity has to be and should be separate from our scholarship. And so we're often um, expected to put that creativity on hold while we're working on um, a research or, you know, um, scholarly, as if creativity is not scholarship. Um, and so... Or, or creativity doesn't form our scholarship. Right? Exactly, exactly. Um, and I think that my, you know, my sister, Amanda Tacchini, um, I don't know if any of y'all were at her keynote last year at ASH uh, for CEP, um, when she, as a part of her keynote, was weaving um, and thinking about weaving as scholarship and weaving as research and those ancient stories of that ancestral knowledge that comes from that. Um, and I think that that was a, a really powerful moment of reclamation of what, um, how those things are, um, are both like it, it's both scholarship and it's fueling and feeding scholarship and, and driving it. So, uh, I, you know, Sean and I had a really good conversation about that when I visited uh, Illinois um, before they closed down the outside uh, <laughs> in February. And so uh, what I found for myself is that when I'm not engaging with and feeding my creative side, then my scholarship is halted and, and really kind of stunted. And it's hard for me to, um, and it took me a while to get to that. Like, why is this, why is it hard to write? Um, it's because I wasn't feeding this other part of me. So one of the things that I engage with is, is beadwork. Um, and so throughout the pandemic, um, I've been working on some stuff for my daughters. And, and I think the thing in that is that in much of the same ways, the teachings that we the teachings that we have about how we engage with our beadwork and that um, the making of of items is much the same way that I approach scholarship and try to take those teachings there and thinking about um, having a good thought while we're doing these things, thinking about our intentions as we're engaging with that work. So. Um, yeah, I've been working on, so my oldest daughter, so it's interesting while um, we're not <laughs> able to dance right now. Uh, so I've been taking the time to work on some of her B work and a new pouch set for her, um, for um, her Kiowa dress. Um, we're Wichita, Kiowa, Cheyenne, and my girls are also Oto, Missouri. So, um, so we've been, I've been working on these pieces for her. 
Um, and that is beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> but you know, in doing that, it's been, these are things that, you know, as a mother, I'm able to make for my daughters and put in good thoughts and prayers and intentions into something that they carry with them. And, and, um, having to be focused on those things while I'm, while I'm doing that. Um, so that's that. And then my youngest daughter, um, have been, this is the beginning process. So this is, so I'm working on a new, um, set for her beadwork set for her um, regalia. And so this is the beginning process of thinking through that and drawing it out and imagining what it looks like before I start the whole actual laying down the beads and, and the kind of long process of making an entire set for her. So that's what I'm working on. What about y'all? What exactly is the the symbol like is that a flower it's, yeah it's a floral uh, a floral design so that's related more to their um, Oto side um, which uses much more um, floral uh, designs and then this piece um, represents the oak leaf which is used a lot with um, Kiowa regalia um, that so. sounds very heavy <laughs> it's not too bad it's just the it's the bone on the end so it yeah it's not too bad but are y'all, Shauna, I see you have something in the background of you oh, been being that, But see, that's 10 years old. I need to get better at, so I, I have a painting in the background um, and it's actually like the, um, my interpretation of uh, my struggle with land and um, um, the unseen around what it means to be situated on land. Uh, so that's my interpretation of it in that moment for me. Uh, I love to paint, but I don't have like a sink beyond like our kitchen sink to clean my brushes out and, and whatnot. So I know I hesitate to paint because of the cleanup process. Uh, so I half wrote a sketch for a sci-fi book uh, and I haven't touched it in two months, but uh, I'd like to come back to it. I think the, the premise is actually really neat. I just need to get it out and I just haven't had the motivation. I love it. I've been scrapbooking. Um, <gasps> Cameron. Uh, yeah. Well, it's, it's the, uh, I learned when my mother passed that that was, that helped me with the grieving process. So I had a really close mentor that, that passed away a couple, a couple of months ago and he didn't, uh, the times we're living in, he didn't get the proper funeral that I really feel like he deserved. Um, and I revisited like, okay, what was I doing during navigating the, the passing of my mother? So I revisited the, the scrapbooking process and the memories and the legacy, the legacy in the, in the sense of what did, he, what did he leave with me that now I have a responsibility to pass on and leave and think about for others. So it's just, it's just been a really nice reflective process. I don't feel, I don't think of myself as an artistic person, <laughs> But it's been nice to therapeutically think about mem memories, um, think about um, influence, think about legacy, think about a life just well lived. Um, so some scrapbooking has is, is, is been my grieving therapy process um, these past couple of months. I'd like to see it. I love I, that. I'd like to see the, the finished product of your beadwork too when you're all done, Heather. I will. And hopefully that will motivate me along with Sophie, who's like, mom, when are you starting on my beadwork? So that's motivation, but you know, and it's also everything's um, on pause. And so my spouse keeps saying, as we come out of um, 
as we come out of isolation, everyone should have all brand new stuff. We should all have brand new regalia and beadwork because we're all sitting at home. So <laughs> um, we'll see if that plays out. But yeah. Heather, Heather, how long does it take from the initial idea sketch to the finished product? <laughs> it depends. It de So I am, um, I <laughs> get really obsessive. And so when I'm in it, and if I'm really in it, I will sit there and bead for hours and it will, but then other things kind of fall away. And so I will do that for days and it might take me a few weeks for something, you know, smaller. Uh, but then if I put it down, then, so I started those pouches for Sloan back in, oh goodness, um, March or April, maybe. I don't know all the months run together now. Um, and so I'm, I'm seriously, I have one more pouch to do. I'm like right here on it. That's all I have left to do. And it's been sitting there at least for the last month because I put it down. So I get a little bit um, obsessive and then put it down. So if I account for all of that, it'll probably take me um, about six months to do Sophie stuff. So Sloan's I could finish. Um, if I would just sit down for an evening and do it, I could finish. It's, it's not a lot left to do, but you know, depending on how many pieces I have to make with it six months. And, you know, if those people that are making a larger jewelry pieces, I mean, it can take up to a year, it just depends. But for me, it also depends on how distracted I get. <laughs> but to your point, this sounds very much like the process of productivity in higher ed too, right? Mm -hmm. Like having to chart out our trajectories and thinking about all the little components along the way and what it should look like, but but what it's taking to get to that part where we think it should look and then the alteration process, it takes, it's, it's expanded. It's expanded. And I think that um, like all the things that you said today were actually beautifully woven in the idea of all of these different identities within ourselves do show up in higher ed, whether or not we want to acknowledge it. So we might as well acknowledge it and use it. Right. Like, um, and not in a capitalistic way, but definitely in a like, a holistic way, like making sure that all of our pieces are tying together when we're doing this work. I think that was beautiful. Um, thank you. Actually, you summed that up much better than I did. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I heard the, the the content from you. So, um, so we're going to go into what I think is my favorite time uh, with guests. It's our lightning round. Are you ready? Oh, I don't so, know. So you have to pick. You can't stall out. It's the first thought to your mind. You have to pick. You can't straddle the fence. Okay. Are you ready? I okay. think so. So we'll start easy. <laughs> Zoom or Skype? Zoom. John Legend or Chrissy Teigen? John Legend. Beating or writing? Beating. <laughs> Precise or disorganized? Precise. And when you're on Zoom calls, party on the top, sweatpants on the bottom, or full-blown power suit? Always party on top, sweat. <laughs> <laughs> Look, see? Long legs. I don't even have shoes on. So. Me too. Okay. And, and Ebony's going to get me for this one. So we'll, we'll just see how this goes because she knows where I live. Uh, OCCRL podcast or Scholar T? <laughs> Oh my gosh. Y'all know I love Scholar T. <laughs> hey. 
I'm here. I'm here for Shauna's jokes. Like in all honesty, I'm here for the jokes, and I'm here for your irritation at those jokes. <laughs> Season two, she's coming with some fire. I will say we've we've recorded a few episodes, and she is coming with some fire this season. <laughs> I only got side eye once today, <laughs> so I'm proud. I work I hard. Do, on these I ones. do love Ebony though, and I love her podcast. That's right. So. Well, without Ebony, there'd be no Shauna. So <laughs> there we go. Well, thank you for joining us and taking time out of your day. Um, we really appreciated having you join us today and um, uh, share with everyone that's listening some of the really important things that we should be considering uh, when it comes to being holistic scholars and practitioners. We really appreciate you. Oh, I appreciate you all and I appreciate the work that you're doing and for this um, gift that you're giving all of us in both really thinking through critical questions about our scholarship, but also remembering the laughter piece of that and how important laughter is and humor is in everything that we do. So thanks. the cuss words are a common. Oh, good. I'm here, <laughs> I'm here for some good cuss words. All the time. <laughs> That was an amazing interview with Dr. Shot and she always don't you just love her? Ooh, <laughs> yeah. Don't you just love her? <laughs> she always invigorates me. So um I'm so glad that she was able to join us. All right. So it's time to get to uh what's problematic here, Shana. And there's so many things to choose from. All right. But I am going to choose one that um was brought to light for me during the pandemic and is still reigning true for how I'm living my life. Uh, and what's problematic is food delivery service, okay? Pandemic edition. And <laughs> when you order them Uber Eats or that DoorDash and that meal says $12.99 and then you get to that checkout and they ready for you to swipe your card and it says $48.99, like how did we get here? What? So, you know, I'm, I'm going to, where's my coins going? What's this going to? So you're looking at delivery fee, a service fee, a tax. Uh, I went around the corner fee. I had to go in and pick it up fee. Like, why are all these fees? Like, then just make the meal $29.99. Like, just tell me what the meal is, including the fees. Because at this point, I'm thinking that, oh, okay, I don't feel like going to get something to eat. This is convenient. So let me go ahead and check this. Other thing is problematic when the delivery driver can't follow the delivery instructions that you gave. And I live currently in a, on the second level of an apartment building. I give very clear instructions. And when people follow them, they know exactly where to come, knock on the door. I was doing no contact. You know, I had a little table out there, set it on the table. I'm going to pick it right up. And then you get the one person that calls, Jerry's calling, like, where's your apartment? did you did you enter in the gps what i told you to enter in oh i didn't see that <laughs> and then i'm maybe, shady for not leaving a tip maybe jerry couldn't read okay here we go <laughs> um well i think there's prerequisites for the position that we i understand people need a coin and their money jerry read enough to get their driver's license okay I'm, let me, let me, I'm gonna stop. I'm an educator and here you go putting empathy in my heart, but I'm, I'm pissed <laughs> because I typed out them instructions. Mm. So when you eat your food, once, okay, we got it. We got through it every, we paid the fee, but when you get the food and you are still hungry 
and you end up cooking something anyway. That was me during this pandemic. And I had, a, mm. I just got the air fryer, you know, the air fryers, that's, that's where it's at for me for the pandemic. That was the best purchase of any pandemic. People talking about them Pelotons, you know, that, that yeah. air fryer was my purchase. And I'd be hungry still because what you thought was going to be sick shrimp looks like two little shriveled up shrimp and you didn't get the meal that you thought you was going to, it wasn't given what you thought it was going to give. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Last thing that's problematic is how they really got you in a chokehold of laziness with these delivery services. I will go all the way to Publix, to the grocery store, shop, get home, put the groceries away, and I'm tired and I want to cook and I'm about to order some DoorDash. Make it make sense, people. Make it make sense. And, and, and it does cost $48.99, but we still paying it. We still, I, and I got the DoorDash pass, nine ninety nine a month. I don't even know what it's getting me. I'm too cheap. <laughs> I, I'm the person that will put the, 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 well, I'll just close out the whole cart. If I see a delivery charge of five ninety nine. <laughs> I just close it. I'll, I'll eat a butter sandwich. That's so on brand for you. <laughs> <laughs> you ready for these jokes? I, I might not be ready, but the people ready. Let the people, <laughs> get the people the jokes, get the people the okay. jokes. They ready for them. Okay. Okay. What did the pot eat on his birthday? The pot ate the cattle that's black. Oh, that sounds kind of racist. <laughs> Depends on how you're thinking about <laughs> pancakes. <laughs> I okay. think that's even worse than where I was going. <laughs> oh, the pot okay. eating the cakes. Okay, come on, go. Yeah. Ahead. <laughs> what kind of shoes do gophers wear? I, I don't know. Woodchucks. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. If a dog and a pie cost had a race, which one would win? A, a dog and a pie? If a dog and a pie cost had a race, which one would win? I, I don't know. You tell me. If a dog and a pie cost had a race, which one would win? You tell me. I don't get it. A pie cost. Do you know what pie cost is? No. Why don't you ask me what a pie cost? What is a pie cost? About six or seven dollars. <laughs> a pie cost about six or seven dollars. <laughs> That's how much a pie costs. <laughs> what is happening? I know. Hey, did you know Montel Jordan's a famous gardener now? He's got his own store and everything. You know the name? What is it? This is how we grew it. <laughs> it's, probably a, okay. uh, it's probably a cannabis farm. Okay. I uh, know. And, and I know you had that last one. It was a little hard. And it might have been a little hard on our listeners too. So I'll, I'll give one more. I planted collard greens on my ceiling. I call them Walgreens. <laughs> call them Walgreens. It's the voice inflection. It's the whisper. It's the then the giggle after. <laughs> the people miss you, sis. The people miss you. Yeah, well, I'm back and I'm cheesier than ever because I got two kids entertained now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we want to congratulate uh, Francie Brown McClure, who was appointed vice president for student affairs at Jackson State University. Kimberly hey, Francie. Gr- 
Hey, girl. Kimberly Griffin, who was recently named Dean of the College of Education at the University of Maryland College Park. Can I say really quickly, shout out to Kimberly. She kept me, she kept me centered. She was doing them Zoom yoga sessions during the pandemic. So shout out mm-hmm. to Dr. Dean Griffin, excuse me, Dean mm-hmm. Griffin. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jelani Cobb, who is appointed Dean of Columbia, Dean of Columbia Journalism School, Rochelle Ford, who will now serve as president of Dillard University, and to Helene Gale, who was named president of Spelman College. Shout out to the Black excellence, to the brilliance, uh, to to everybody out there just doing it. Yes, I'm so excited. You have no idea. I hope to meet Helene in person soon. Uh, I also want to end with a quote from Bell Hooks, who said, I will not have my life narrowed down. I will not bow down to someone else's whim or to someone else's ignorance. These past few years have been especially trying, but in the grand scheme of humanity's history, what we've experienced has actually been more of the same. And while many things may feel out of your control or reach, don't lose sight of the fact that a glimmer of hope can easily ignite a movement that can change the course of history. Rather than succumbing to the whims of oppression, create spaces for yourself, which allow you to heal, reflect, and protect, and also which allow you to hope or center hope as a practice. If you are finding it difficult to enact hope or hopefulness, please make sure you're reaching out to loved ones or professional for support and guidance. Do not feel like you need to walk this path alone. We will not have our lives narrowed down. Well, that's it for this lost episode of Scholar Tea. I am Cameron, that is Shauna, and we are scholars giving you the tea. Looking forward to seeing y'all for season two. Boom, 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 boom.